Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Be Kind Rewind. This is your Disney Movie Plus podcast. Actually, let me back up. Welcome to another episode of Be Kind Rewind. This is your Disney Plus movie podcast. I, of course, am Dan Teets, and this is another throwback episode The one that we are going to be listening to today is one of my favorites. It's where we actually brought in friend of the show, Scott Gardner, to discuss the first non-Disney movie ever on Be Kind Rewind. We did the 1984 movie Splash. So here you go. Hope you enjoy it. And we'll be back with a brand new episode next week. Talk to y'all then. Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee, greenest state in the land of the free. Raised in the woods so he knew every tree, killed him a bar when he was only three. Davy, Davy Crockett. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Be Kind Rewind. This is a Disney movie podcast. I am one of your hosts, Dan Teets. With me, almost as always, is Ichabod Bones. But you can call me Icky. And we have a guest with us today, Dan, don't we? Yes, we do. We are actually honored to be graced with one of who I call, well, I don't even know how to call him. He's a guy that I've been listening to for pretty much 10 years on a couple of podcasts that I listen to. His name is Scott H. Gardner, and I am going to say that the H stands for how the heck are you, Scott? (laughs) I'm doing great. How are you? It is a pleasure to speak with you tonight, and the reason that we brought you on here is because you like this movie that we're going to be talking about tonight. We are going to be covering Splash. I do. Uh, I I would go so far as to say I am a big fan of this movie. Well, that is always a good thing to have fans, especially when you're in Florida. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So since this is is one of your favorite movies, I take it that this was not your first time watching it? No, no. uh, I'm lucky enough uh, that I... Well, for one, I'm old enough, but uh, I'm lucky enough to have actually seen this uh, first run in the theater when it came out in uh, in 84. Uh, I was, let me think, I'm not sure what month it came out, I don't remember now, but I was 15 or 16 years old, and uh, I went with my best friend, who's uh, also my, uh, my co-host on Two True Freaks, uh, Chris Honeywell, and my cousin Michelle, now Chris and Michelle were actually on a date on the sly, like her dad didn't know that, you know, that the... That oh going. my gosh. So, I, I have, if you have time, I have an amusing story when it comes to this. So, we go into the to the theater to see it. And you gotta remember, this is back in the 80s, folks. This was before videotape, this was before DVDs, all of that. You know, the only way to see a movie was to go to the movie. 
mm-hmm. and this was my first time seeing it. And I, I, I can't remember why now, but I was really looking forward to this movie. I don't know if it was the hype or what it was, but I was, I was like really jazzed to see this movie. Plus the fact, like I say, you know, Chris and Michelle were on this date, and I wanted to kind of keep an eye on things. <laughs> so the movie starts, and I don't think the movie got more than like five minutes into it, and all of a sudden. I, I'm getting the call of the wild, you know, the nature's calling, you know, <laughs> and I forget how long the movie is, but it was the longest, like, you know, hour and a half, two hours of my life, because by the time the credits started to roll and I knew that, OK, oh. th- this is actually the end of the movie, I had to like sprint to the men's room because <laughs> I, I just I feared I wasn't going to make it. And, uh, you know, word of advice, don't don't ever do that, because I, I came down so sick afterwards from from just holding it in and not which is something I'd never be able to do that today. You know, I'd go like maybe 10, 20 minutes and be like, OK, that's it. I'm sitting in a puddle now, you know, but I did. I went through the entire movie pretty much with, you know, with this urge to go to the bathroom and, uh, on you know, so long as I live, I'm never going to forget that. And I know Chris won't ever forget it because it comes up in conversation whenever this movie's mentioned, you know, when the two of us are around, he's like, Oh, I remember that. He goes, you were, you were white as a sheet. <laughs> oh, man. But hard to enjoy I think the it's movie when you're focusing on that, huh? I'm sorry. It's hard to Say enjoy that. the movie when you're focusing on that. Well, that was the thing, though, is you know you would think so. You you would think that that would that would translate to like a negative experience. But I, I think it's a testament to the movie that I I was really into it that much that I was willing to sit there in in dire you know <laughs> pain you know from from holding it in you know to to enjoy the movie. But I really did. You know, the only thing I missed was uh, you know was leaving when the credits roll because. There's a nice little thing, you know, if you stick through the credits, there's a nice little thing, you know, where it kind of shows like where she comes from type of thing, which I always thought was cool. And every time I watch the movie now and I see that, I always I'm always struck anew by that because it, it wasn't there the first time I, I viewed the movie. Yeah. Well, Icky, what about you? Was this your I don't think this was your first time because I think you were excited about watching it, too. Right. I mean, I may have seen it years ago definitely not in the theater but it, the first time i can really remember seeing the full the full movie well then i am the newbie on this one because i don't think i've ever seen it all the way through oh wow i was about to say and i lost both the co-hosts on that one <laughs> <laughs> no not at all well this one actually so, came uh, out no go ahead what, what did you think of it it was definitely not a disney movie <laughs> oh, and you saw the, the sanitized version. You saw the Disney Plus version. You haven't seen the uncensored version. Wait, what? There's more flesh. I'll just say that much. You know what's really funny about that? That that was one of my very first notes I, I took because it comes up right at the beginning when you start this on Disney Plus that it says edited for content. And that's the first time I've seen that warning come up on anything on Disney Plus. Yeah. And when it came up, I was instantly annoyed because it took me back to my childhood, you know, when they would play movies on regular, you know, broadcast television and they would always cut things out. So I thought, okay, I know this movie forwards and backwards. You know, what is it that that they're going to have cut? And to the best of my knowledge, they didn't actually cut anything. What they did was they CGI'd extra hair onto 
uh, Madison during scenes. But what's really funny is when they do it for the very first time um, on the beach scene when she runs into the water, the right after that, there's a scene where she's underwater and she finds Alan's wallet. And clearly you can see, um, I'm not sure how to say it, and you know, family-friendly environment, but you can see lady parts. And I was really struck by that. I'm like, wait, they would CGI her behind, but they won't CGI her top? So I was really kind of mystified by that. But <laughs> to, to the best of my knowledge, that was the only you know change or edit that I could find. And I know this movie pretty well because uh, I'm not sure how old you guys are. Like I said, I'm an old guy. But I don't know if you've ever heard of this before. But years ago, I've, I've since learned that uh, evidently I was not crazy or alone in doing this. But, you know, years ago... Long before videotapes and, and DVDs, people would sometimes audio record movies, like from TV, or, or sometimes even take the recorder into the movies. I did that a few times too, and I had an audio recording of this um, that I think I taped off of like HBO or something, and listened to it so many times that I pretty much memorized the movie. So while it's been a while since I've actually viewed the movie i knew the sound of you know the soundtrack essentially of the movie enough that if they cut scenes out i would have noticed it right away well i can say that i have actually i can actually say that i have recorded things off of the tv on audio just because when i was growing up i was a big wrestling fan so mm -hmm. it would be something like Saturday morning's wrestling challenge or something like that. And I actually had a couple of tapes for like the longest time that I would pull out while I'd be doing, and this is really going to make me sound bad, while I was doing housework. Because I had to um, dust my room, uh, clean one of the bathrooms in the house, and that kind of stuff. So it was, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I could actually more or less quote the, dialogue when it was like big john stud got up and issued a challenge to like junkyard dog or something like right <laughs> right right yeah I, I think it's such a foreign concept to anybody that didn't grow up through that era you know like like you know i've told my kids this and they're just like you did what but you know yeah. I, you, yeah, I have to emphasize to them that look you know that that was the only way that you could experience the movie again you know it, it wasn't readily available we could just pull it off your shelf or or you know punch a button and it pulled up on the TV I said you know they just they were not available so if you found a movie that you really loved that was how you could experience it again and was listening to it or or you know reading the comic book adaptation for which I don't think there ever was one for splash so but yeah, I know it seems really weird, you know, these days, but yeah, we did a lot of that sort of thing. And that's how I discovered that there were different cuts um, of the same movie a lot of times, too, because uh, the recording I had of like Star Wars, for example, had subtle differences than what was eventually released, like when they put it out on video and, uh, and DVD for the first time. There were little dialogue differences and things like that. And I, I love little you know trivia bits and things like that, too. Well, since I've never seen it before, I kind of figured that it would have to do with, and we actually do say boobs on this, so. okay. <laughs> <laughs> because we've reviewed Fantasia, which, oh, okay, yeah. which if that, if that didn't get edited, then why would 
disc it. Right, right. Well, to be to, to be specific, then um, in that scene I was talking about, where she's looking at Alan's wallet underwater, uh, you can very clearly see her nipples in that scene. It's one of the I. It's one of, if not the only scene where you actually can make them out, because in most of the scenes, uh, they very carefully place like her hair or an object in front of her to where. Uh, you know, it's implied that she's topless, but you can't actually make it out. But in that scene, it's clear as a bell. It's right there. So I was surprised by that, you know, immediately, you know, coming immediately on the heels of them doing a CGI cover up that, you know, that the very next scene would have that, you know, that clearly in it. So it's, it's weird how they kind of pick and choose these things, I guess, or, or maybe somebody just missed it. I don't know. It's possible with the, with the amount of editing, they may have just glossed over that, and it never got back to anybody at corporate. Yeah, because I, was... think, I think there's a scene toward the end when she's in the glass aquarium or whatever it is, and the, uh-huh. the professor guy with the crazy hair goes in there and sees her and decides to set her free. I think there was originally a scene where you could see her her full frontal as she toward the glass but the way they changed the aspect ratio of the screen they didn't edit it out but they just changed the ratio so that uh, it was slightly screen yeah that makes sense because I, I had this feeling I, I I couldn't you know I, I couldn't remember it clearly enough to know if it was true or not but I had the sense that the scene where she approaches the Statue of Liberty that they had done something funky with uh, with the aspect ratio or something because I remembered her bottom being a lot more clear in that scene as well, but I, I wasn't sure if I was remembering it correctly or if I was remembering the um, the the last time I got the movie uh, soundtrack on CD, it came with like a little booklet, and the booklet, I mean, there was <laughs> there's this shot of her bare behind in that yeah. book that was kind of shocking for a Disney product. I was like, whoa, wait, what? So I couldn't. I was struggling to remember. Like, was that actually in the film, or am I misremembering it because of that picture? I couldn't. <laughs> it's a Mandela effect, right? Right. Exactly. Well, since we are actually jumping into it, let's go ahead and cover it. It's. It actually was released March the ninth, nineteen eighty four. It did seventy million dollars in box office, which I'm not going to do the the comparison like I normally do. Just because we're talking 30 years ago, so it may be like 10 million dollars better. It's it was huge for its time. I mean that that's the big takeaway is that it was a blockbuster at a time when Disney desperately needed a blockbuster. So the the way that this movie actually started was with what photographers would actually call a sepia shot now of Cape Cod from 20 years ago. And they they show a band playing the theme song as a little boy drops some coins. And this is where I actually realized this was definitely not a Disney movie because he was trying to look up a girl's skirt. And he tries it again, and his mom sees him, asks his dad to talk to him, and the dad just smacks him upside the head. And meanwhile, the other brother is standing off by himself, staring into the water, and he just jumps in. And he gets he gets rescued by the Coast Guard or the Navy Clipper or whatever it is that's standing around. And he sees a little girl that's actually swimming in the water. And the, as the boat's going away, we see a shot of the girl who pops up behind the water. 
So we fast forward to, quote, New York City this morning. <laughs> yeah. And there's a shot of the Twin Towers, which, unless we're actually in the fringe world, there are no Twin Towers in New York City in 2020. So this totally dates the movie. Yeah. And so we pan to a man yelling at Tom Hanks, asking where his cherries are. And then he tells him, if I don't have them in five minutes, you don't get paid and you starve and you die. So we find out that this guy's name is Alan and he's actually the young boy that had jumped overboard. He asks one of his workers where the cherries are and sh and he's shown a pallet of cherries and the guy that comes up to him finds out, well, I don't want those because they're slimy and they look like they crawled, <coughs> crawled out of a snail as that just crawled out of my mouth. <laughs> and the cherry dealer tells him that him and Freddy had actually worked out an arrangement because Freddy lost a hand of cards. And this is where John Candy comes in, and he's driving a cherry red Camaro, and he crashes into a bunch of fruit, and he gets out, and he says that he has important news. His news is that Penthouse has published his article, and he wants everyone to have a copy of the magazine. And I'm like, okay, got to remember, this is not a Disney movie. I mean, it's released by Disney, but it's not Disney because Disney wouldn't even utter the word pen out. So they walk into the office and the secretary tells the boys that their father has called, only to be told by them that the dad has died five years ago. Freddie sits down, throws his little scarf over his shoulder and tells him that they're going to be the new vendor for buy right farm or supermarket. And a call comes in, and it's a girl named Victoria, who Alan had actually had a call from earlier and told that he didn't have time for her. And she tells him that he's that she's moving out of their apartment. And the guy that he had been asking who where the cherries were had been asked to let go early so that way he could go to get ready for a wedding. And we cut to that wedding. And Freddy walks down and pulls the same trick that he had done earlier when he was a little kid. And he gets caught by Alan. And he says, well, hey, if it works for me, I'm going to stick with it. And then he tells Alan that he wants to be more involved in the business. But it's apparent that he doesn't know anything about the business. And then they're outstanding as ushers for the wedding. People keep walking by saying, hey, Alan, how you doing? Where's Victoria? And Alan has to keep making things up until suddenly he snaps and just yells at a guy, in which case everybody in the church turns around and stares at him like he's got a second head growing out of his shoulder. And we cut to after the wedding, and Freddie is explaining how alcohol works to Alan, and he says that Alan's problem is that he's too skinny. Uh, Freddie runs off after some girls, leaves Alan alone. Alan pretty much walks up and accosts a couple of strangers, asking them if they're in love. He spills his guts to them, and then he tells Freddy that he's going to Cape Cod. And now, remember, Cape Cod was where Alan had seen, or what he thought had seen, the girls swimming in the water. So I guess that's why he wanted to go back there. And so the next morning, he's walking on the beach, he's soaking wet, and he walks up to a scientist 
and asks them to take him to the island because he was dropped off on the wrong side of the The scientist starts yelling at him, says, says, I know you're here spying on me, please go away, pretty much. And one of his goons walks up to him, tells him that there's a guy that can take him to the island whose name is Fat Jack, and they set out only to have the boat crap out on them in the middle of the sound, I guess. And so Jack jumps into the water and he tells Alan that he'll be back with Little Boat. And at this we see the scientist out on the boat and he looks and sees Alan sitting in the middle of the, in the, middle of the water. And he's like, I knew it, he's out here trying to spy on me. And Alan gets up, tries to start the boat. He gets the boat going and he gets thrown overboard. And he can't swim. Although it looks like he was doing a pretty good job of it because he was treading water for, what, a couple of minutes, Icky? Hello? It's good. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, he was he was treading water, and the boat circled like two or three yeah. times, it looked like, before it actually came back and hit him in the head. And so he gets hit in the head, he gets, and he goes down, and next thing we know, he's up on Castaway Beach. Oh, wait, no, wrong movie. Yeah. With Wilson. Yes, with Wilson and all the FedEx packages and... No, wait, that's another ten years into the future. (laughs) You know, it's funny that you say Castaway Beach, because do you know the history of that beach? No. So that beach that he's on in that scene... um, Now, it's supposed to be Cape Cod, of course, but they actually filmed it in the Bahamas... And Disney liked that location so much. It's like that old Razor commercial. You know, I like their product so much I bought the company. They liked that beach so much they bought the island, or I think they rented it initially. Um, that is Castaway Key, hmm. uh, which is Disney's private island. If you ever go on the Bahamas uh, Disney cruise, uh, you know, the Disney cruise ships go on the Bahama cruise. Uh, one of the stops is Castaway Key. And, uh yeah. That's that's how Disney learned of that location was because of filming there for this movie. And who would have thought that Cape Cod is right across the water from the Bahamas, really? Right. <laughs> so Tom Hanks comes to on Castaway K. We'll go ahead and call it that for the rest of the movie. And he realizes that he's being watched. He looks up, he sees a woman, and he asks if she actually had saved him. And... This is where we definitely find out this is not a Disney movie because she's spooked and runs down the beach and she is butt naked. But somehow she comes face to face with Alan and I don't know if either of y'all caught this, but her necklace was actually the logo for the Lion King Broadway music. <laughs> yeah, and she and she traded that away and I was resp- I was talking to my wife while I was watching. I was like, well, yeah, she had to give it to somebody because that's the only way that the Lion King would have gotten made on Broadway. <laughs> but she walks up to him, kisses him, and then she jumps into the water. He turns around, starts walking on the beach, and wouldn't you know it, she's a mermaid because you see her tail. And she retrieves Alan's wallet and comes face to face with the scientist. And he's like, no, no, wait, wait, so that way I can take your picture. And she swims off before he, before he can get her picture. And she swims to a sunken ship, which I can only assume is one of the Pirates of the Caribbean ships, since Icky and I have decided that every Disney movie is interconnected somehow. So this was a this was the uh, 
what it was at the Black Pearl, Icky? Yeah, I think it was a Black Pearl. Okay. And so, but somehow the Black Pearl had a um, map of New York City. And she <laughs> looked at it and she decided that she had to go there. So we shift to the fruit market the next morning, I'm guessing. And Alan's commenting that he got hit in the head by a boat. And then we do a quick switch to Liberty Island where we see Naked Girl climbing out of the water and walking up to a tour group. And she quickly gets surrounded by tourists because New York. And then the police whisk her off and she's taken on a police boat wearing an I Heart New York t-shirt complete with a Statue of Liberty. And of course Alan gets a call because she's got his wallet and everybody knows everybody's phone number. And so he takes off. And she walks up and kisses him and escorts him to his uh, to his home. And they start pretty much making out as soon as they get on board the elevator. And you see the elevator stop between the third and the fourth floor. So we can just imagine what happened there. So we fast forward, I don't know how long, but Alan comes in. He's got a tray full of food and he is singing zippity Doodah. Which, if, sir, that was a little ironic, right? Yes, that was very ironic because this is Splash of the Splash Mountain, which is how Splash Mountain got their name, but not really. And so he keeps singing Zippity Doodah, and he tells her that he'll be back later to get some clothes. And obviously he's exhausted because when he gets to work, he tells Freddy to wake him up when it's time to go home. And we cut back to the mermaid, who's learned her first word by watching TV, and that word is Bloomingdale's. <laughs> so she gets out, tells the doorman where she wants to go. He gets her into a cab, and she is dressed in a two-piece pinstripe suit, which got a comment of an Annie Hall reference. And when she gets out, the only honest cabbie in New York takes exactly what is owed from Alan's wallet before she goes into the store. <laughs> Maybe. Don't know. So we fast forward to her. She's got a whole new wardrobe. Alan comes in and is told where she went. And he finds her in electronics. And she's been jazzercising with Richard Simmons. And... The guy's like, is she with you? He's like, yeah, but don't ask me what her name is because I really don't know. <laughs> and and he's like, she doesn't speak any English. And she turns around and says, hello, Alan, how was your day? And Alan's just shocked at this. And he's like, wait, you speak English? Well, what's your name? And she's like, well, you can't pronounce it. It's like, well, go ahead and try it. And she decides that, the, or she um pretty much blows out all the 19-inch TVs in the store. So the they take off, and they're walking through Times Square, and I had to rewind this because there were several movies that were actually on the marquee. We had Raiders of the Lost Ark. We had Evil Dead. And there was one other one that I actually couldn't pick up no matter how many times I rewound it. But he starts asking her how long she's going to be in town for, and she says six days because that's when the full moon comes out. And she says if she stays any longer, she'll be able to go back. And it's during this time that she's pilfered a blind man's mug full of pencil. So we cut to later on that night. Oh, and this is where she actually gets her name because 
Um, Alan actually starts calling off the intercept, and he says Madison, and she's like, oh, I like that. He's like, well, it's probably a good thing that we weren't at 149th. Boom. So we cut to later on that night, and Madison wakes up and pours herself a bath, and she pours a container of salt into the tub, and this is where we actually see her transform for the first time. And Alan wakes up and finds her in the bathroom taking a bath, and she tells him that she doesn't want to come out because she was shy. We cut back to the scientist, and he's yelling at the crew because they're sitting on his hose. And I pause the movie at this point because he's out of the water and he's got an oxygen tank. Now, I don't know the first thing about scuba, but I don't think you need an oxygen tank if you have a hose. And I don't think you need a hose if you have an oxygen tank. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, please. Right, scuba, self-contained underwater breathing apparatus, right? <laughs> so one of them sitting there reading about Madison, a Statue of Liberty. He walks up, starts to berate him, and then he sees the the picture of Madison, and he tells him to take him to shore. And we cut back to Madison sit, sitting crying in front of the TV when Alan walks in. And Alan says that it's Bonanza. Um, I'm pretty sure I saw Clint Eastwood for a split for a split second. So Jeff I thought I thought that too. So unless he was in one of the very early episodes playing the man with no name, this was one of his spaghetti westerns, not Bonanza, and nobody caught it. But he's he tells her that television is make believe and breaks the fourth wall for all children everywhere for for the rest of eternity. And he gives Madison a gift, which is a um, snow globe. And it, and it leads them to standing in front of a violinist who happens to know the exact tune that was playing in the snow globe. And they talk for a little bit before they go to look at a mermaid statue. And he's just about to tell her, or he's about to tell her about his encounter from when he was eight. And she says she remembered. And then she's like, oops. I know how you understand the words. She plays a French person. And then we cut to Freddie and Alan at a sports club. And they're talking about a dinner that the President of the United States was hosting. Which at that time I believe was Ronald Reagan. So obviously this was an alternate universe. Because the guy that was the President was definitely not Ronald Reagan. Or even, was it Rich Little? That actually played the More Ronald... Like, like Mike Pence to me. It uh, might have been a very young Mike Pence who was practicing for his run in four years. But we won't get into that because this is not a political podcast. So they're at the club and they both get changed and they go out and play some racquetball. And Freddie starts, Freddy starts smoking, Freddie starts drinking, and they start to discuss the problems with Madison. And Freddie, every time that Alan brings up something, says, oh, don't worry about it. You're in love. Don't worry about it. So we cut to the National Museum of Natural History in New York, and the scientist is getting yelled at by a bunch of cronies for bringing them all to New York for mermaids. And then we walk into Alan's apartment, and Madison is having the mermaid statue installed in their bedroom. 
And this is where we find out that she traded her Lion King's um, necklace for the statue. So obviously Elton John was in town that weekend and got a cop and got the necklace. And that's why we have the Lion King. So we, Alan and Madison start discussing her going home and they're out eating. And he says that he can actually marry her as one of the ways to keep her from going home. And she says that she can't marry him, but she can't tell him why. And they get into a fight while they're at Rockefeller Center. And Alan searches everywhere, but he can't find her because he didn't look over the bridge where she was laying underneath or sitting underneath. And the next morning, Madison is standing at one of the bridges and begins to disrobe. And then we cut to Alan, and suddenly she's standing right there in front of him, and she says yes to him and his marriage proposal. She says she has something to tell him, but, but she can't tell him today. And they go back to his place, and the scientist is dressed as a maintenance worker, and they get in an elevator for what we think is to go up. But he stops, he runs up, and... Um, pulls the fire hose because he's decided that if he throws water on Madison, then that will actually reveal that she's a mermaid. But it was not the it was not Alan and Madison that were actually on the elevator. It was a guy who he had already been beaten up once before trying to do this, and so he gets knocked back down the. And then what we was see my week. Is that what he kept saying over and over throughout the movie? Yeah, this isn't my week, this isn't my week, I think I heard him. And so, Alan and Madison get out of the elevator, and they decide to drive to Maryland and get married that day. But first, they have to go to the dinner with the president, Mike Pence. And the scientist follows them as a bellboy, and at this one arm in a half-body cast. And I think he's got a neck brace at this point in time, too. And he's got a, um, he's got some kind of sprayer like you would spray all the weeds in your backyard on his back. And that's what he's actually going to use to to spray her with. For the seats on Splash Mountain. Yes. But the, for some reason, that piques the interest of the Secret Service because nothing screams, hey, I've got a bomb, then a guy walking around with what looks like a huge backpack on underneath the jacket that he's only wearing one arm with. So the Secret, Sur- Secret Service intercept him, and they try to take him off, and Madison tells Alan that it's time to tell him the secret, and as they walk out, the scientist sprays Madison, and behold, 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 he was right. Her legs turn into fins, and she gets surrounded by the press, and suddenly the presidential motorcade gets commandeered to whisk her away, to an undisclosed underground location where she is being tested on. And and Alan is naked in a tank as well. And they bring in Madison and she starts breaking down, saying that she thought that Alan might actually be a um, mermaid because of the encounter that they had when he was eight. But then she tries to reach for him and he... And he flinches, and we cut to the guy standing outside of the double two-way glass. And, he, and they're like, well, obviously he's not one. Just get him out of here. Take him home. And they take him home, and he gets surrounded by the press, and he's now being called Fishman. 
and Freddy comes into the rescue and they ride off to the office where the secretary says that all the networks want to talk to him, including Ted Turner and Mrs. Paul. So Alan starts to complain about everything that's been going on and Freddy talks him down, says he was lucky to have had her. And we cut back to Madison being dropped into the tank and her scales are coming off. And this is where the scientist's heart grows three sizes because he starts to feel compassion. And for some reason, we cut to a dentist office where the scientist says he doesn't want to have any Novocaine and he's going to have a tooth drilled and Alan breaks in and attacks him. And the scientist says, well, he's got a way to actually see Madison. And this is with John Candy and Tom Hanks playing Swedish doctors that are supposed to be in later on that. So they walk up and after a little bit of a what we thought was going to be an issue, John Candy says something to the effect of, I have a big penis in Swedish. And the guy lets him in. So obviously he didn't speak good span or a good yeah good Spanish or maybe he did speak good Spanish, and that's why he couldn't understand the Swedish right. So they walk in, see the see Madison who's um, molting because she's been in the water too long, and and uh, the scientist and Madison work work a way to get Madison out and into a waiting car, and they go off and the military all mobilized which included um the guy who did all the sound effects for the police academy he was the guy that was actually in charge of i don't know if y'all caught that or not and they no they, did not I, I always thought that guy looked familiar i didn't realize that's who it was that was who it was it was sound effects guy and so the scientist tells everybody to let him out and he just about gets run over by the jeep and he falls down a um, elevator shaft, and this is where we hear him say once again, "It's not my day, it's not my week." And Allison and Matt, or what Alan a week and- I'm having. That's what he says. <laughs> that's that's one of my favorite things to say when I'm having a bad week. Is what a week I'm having. That's what he keeps saying. <laughs> oh my goodness. So they make it to the dock. And Madison reveals that it was her that saved his life at Cape Cod when he was eight. And she says, you can come with me, but you can never come back. And she jumps in the water. And Alan's there looking all forlorn and love lost and not sure what to do. And then he jumps in. And then suddenly we have a bunch of deep sea divers that are jumping in to try to rescue him and Madison comes back and begins to totally kick butt on him and then they get off and they swim together to Atlantis I am thinking but I did not see a guy in a orange and green outfit with blonde hair so I can't tell for sure and it, and I definitely didn't see Namor and that's your movie what a movie it was so this was the first. This was the first um, Touchstone movie that was actually released, and we could see why it was Touchstone because there was a bunch of profanity. There was smoking. There was drinking. There was implied sex. There was nakedness, although you couldn't see it on the Disney Plus version. <laughs> and I mean, it w- it was a good movie. I don't know if I would let my kids watch it until they were 
old enough to understand what was going on once we have kids. But what did you guys think? I, I absolutely love this movie. Um, you know, right, right from the first viewing, I, I think, you know, it was a, it was a really wise decision to release it under a different label. Um, because while it's funny, cause I think it's, it seems kind of tame today, but at the time, even though Disney released it under a completely different label, there, there still was a, a you know, a, a minor bit of scandal about the movie when it first came out, you know, despite the popularity of it and how well it did and everything, you know, that Disney was releasing this kind of film. And that's why Eisner really stood behind the Touchstone brand, you know, the way that he did. It was kind of his baby, but it was, you know, he was trying to protect the Disney name and the Disney brand while at the same time trying to make the the studio and the company more competitive with other, you know, contemporaneous movie studios that were doing uh you know, just more modern fare, which is really, that was the struggle that Disney had, you know, after Walt passed away, you know, especially if you look at their, their output, uh, throughout the seventies and into the early eighties, uh, the comparison I always use is, uh, Pete's dragon. You look at Pete's dragon, which was released in 1977, the same year that star Wars came out. And you look at that movie, and it feels like it's 20 years older than it actually is. And Disney was kind of stuck in a rut. They they were still trying to produce, um, you know, this this Walt era quality uh, family product at a time when things like Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark and E.T. and you know, not to mention you know some of the more adult uh, fare that was out there. Uh, was being released and doing you know blockbuster numbers and you know here Disney was struggling with you know the, the you know release after release and they just they desperately needed that big hit that showed that they still had it that they could still you know compete with more uh, you know contemporaneous fare and and this was it this you know not only launched Touchstone but it solidified that brand and and you know was a huge hit and a huge win for uh for Disney. Yeah, I I think it was I think the the real the this well and Icky can actually speak to this and you probably can too, but this was the first movie for Touchstone as you said, which was a Disney brand, and I think it was more of an adult um, way for people to actually watch a Disney movie, because when I was actually watching it, I kept thinking, this is just an adult version of um, Little Mermaid. In a lot of ways, yeah. Yeah, very much so. And it, and it was, I mean, there there was so many parallels that, with the exception of it actually having nakedness it could have actually been a disney movie especially with the way that they're doing um live action versions of the movies nowadays yeah i think you know if if they were to remake i i keep hearing it bandied about that this movie's you know going to be remade i guess there's a, a remake that's floating around out there and everything it would not surprise me at all uh, that if there ever is a remake, that it will end up being, you know, run under the, just the normal Disney banner. Because, like I say, while it it seemed very, 
you know, very ahead of its time and, and very non-Disney-like at the time it came out. Nowadays, it seems fairly tame. I mean, watching it now, there, there certainly is a lot worse stuff that's, I, I don't mean worse in the aspect of quality, I mean worse in the aspect of, uh, you know, language and, and that sort of thing that's, that's out there commonplace on network television today. So it, it doesn't seem quite as scandalous now, um, you know, almost 30 years later than, than it did at the time when it came out. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a far cry from what you would actually get on um, like 10 o'clock on like an FX on a Sunday night, which I think <laughs> is also a Disney property now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because the wife and I were actually watching um, Damages, or I was rewatching it. She was watching it for the first time. And season four, I mean, the language just went totally off the rails. You have F-bombs every five minutes so to speak and i'm i'm not used to that for a for a network show which i mean of course fx isn't exactly fox nbc cbs but is one of the offshoots right icky did you have anything on this um good movie i mean i do think it was my first time seeing it all the way through (laughs) interesting to see how it would hold up today if they did make a reboot they would have to change some things but i think overall the theme would work in today's society. Well, the... That's the... Go ahead, Scott. I was just going to say, that's the thing that, uh, you know, it's been some time since I've, since I've sat and watched it again, you know, completely all the way through. Um, I've seen it, you know, in passing a few times, you know, in recent years. And uh, I think somebody was playing it in, uh, in our break room at work not long ago. So I got to catch a little bit of it. But as far as like sitting down, paying attention, watching it from, from start to finish, uh, this is the first time in, in a good number of years I've done that, and I was really struck by how well it holds up because, uh, you know, a lot of movies, especially 80s movies, tend to date badly, um, and this one really didn't. I, I At least I didn't think that it, it did. Now, it'd be interesting to see, you know, what a, what a young person, you know. Unfortunately, I didn't have, uh, I, you know, either of my kids, uh, you know, neither one of them lived at home anymore, and I would often bounce you know, older movies, especially movies that, that I love from my childhood off my kids to see, you know, how, how do they react to it? Uh, I didn't have that opportunity this time, but um, I would expect that it would hold up pretty good. Probably be better with little girls, I would imagine, or, you know, younger girls than, than maybe, you know, the boys. But uh, but I, I still thought it held, it held up really well. Um, unfortunately, one of the the gags of the movie, I think, has now been lost uh, with time and with age, and that's her name. Um, she's called Madison because in that scene where they're walking down the New York City streets, you know, Alan admits that he he'll never be able to pronounce her her name because it, it basically sounds like dolphin squeals or something. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to give her uh, a human name that he can call her, and he's rattling off all these you know, typical female names. And he just glances up to, to get his bearings to see where they are. And he sees the sign for Madison Avenue and says, Oh, Madison. And when he says that she latches on to Madison as a name and he kind of laughs it off, but she wants the name. So he gives it to her. And that was meant to be a gag because at that time, you know, there were no females named Madison that, you know, if, if somebody said Madison, 
you know, typically it would conjure up Madison Avenue. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a gag that's kind of been lost in time because now, you know, you fast forward all these years, there are probably at this point millions of women in the world named Madison. And what's funny to me is, you know, in, in the course of my, you know, day-to-day professional life, uh, I like pointing it out to little girls, hey, you know, that are named Madison. Hey, did you know that you have a Disney princess name? And they'll go, really? And I'll start telling the story. And I, I cannot tell you the number of times as I'm telling the story, mom starts nodding. And that's exactly where mom picked the name up from was that, you know, <laughs> mom, when she was a little girl, was a fan of this movie and liked that name. And, you know, yeah, because that that is now one of the most popular female names that's out there. And that is a direct result of this movie. So it has has had a huge cultural impact at least in that one aspect. But again, it's, it's one of those things that as the movie ages, it's, it's just kind of being forgotten that that's, you know, that it all owes back to this movie. Well, I think another thing that's, that's largely been lost too is, uh, the impact that the movie had, uh, on Tom Hanks. And, and I think to a lesser degree for, uh, for Ron Howard as well. I mean, Ron Howard was already, you know, an established, person you know as far as a you know a famous actor you know he'd, he'd been acting since he was a young kid with you know the andy griffith show and with happy days and all that but he was just kind of getting started uh being an actual film director this was i think his third movie if i remember right and i mean he's gone on to some some huge success as a as a director but i mean this movie made tom hanks because he was pretty much a nobody then i mean he'd been on tv um, I'm trying to remember if he'd done any films. I don't think so. But even if he had done, I mean, he wasn't a star. I mean, today, every, you know, the world knows Tom Hanks. But at this time, I mean, he, he was nobody. And he would, he'd actually been auditioned, uh, for Freddie's part, for John Candy's part. He was going to be the, the comedic, uh, brother. And ended up, you know, the star of the movie, you know, the the male star of the movie anyway. And I mean, it absolutely made him. And uh, it's funny, you know, several years back when uh, when Disney cast him, you know, the Disney company cast him uh, and announced that he was going to play Walt Disney um, in an upcoming movie. You know, the Internet like exploded and there were so many people that were so negative about it. And they were like, you know, what business does Tom Hanks, you know, have playing? Well, and I was like, man, you don't know your Disney history because, you know, this guy has a history with Disney that goes back to the beginning of his, I mean, Disney made him. So I always thought that was really funny, you know, and I thought he did a great job playing Disney as well. But yeah, he's, you know, his, uh, his career is, you know, side by side with Disney history. So I thought that was really kind of cool. Splash was actually his first movie. He had done uh, Family Ties. He was actually on Happy Days. Mm-hmm. And of course, the TV show that he probably wants to forget about, he had <laughs> Bosom Buddies. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. But yeah, th- this was his first um, actual movie. He had done one TV movie, which nobody really counts that as your movie debut unless it's a um, Lifetime movie. Right. But, you know, something else that's funny is, you know, these days, you know, you can look these things up, you know, on the Internet or what. But, you know, back in the in the pre-Internet days, I, I was always very proud of myself that I figured something out 
you know, well before the internet made it, you know, common where you could just look up little trivia things and everything. But there's a, a guy in this movie, an actor in this movie, that I started to realize that I was seeing him over and over again in Ron Howard movies. And it's the guy from, it's the guy at the beginning of the movie in the warehouse that's going, where are my cherries? And over time, I got to realize, man, this guy's in like every Ron Howard movie. Well, that's because it's his dad. That's uh, that's Rance Howard, who unfortunately just died about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it, uh, I'm trying to think if there's a Ron Howard movie that he wasn't in, and I can't think of one off the top of my head. But uh, I, th- I, this is where I think I noticed him for the first time. Um, but yeah, he was in all of them. Like if you ever see... Um, Apollo 13, just as an example, is another one of my favorite movies. Also another Tom Hanks collaboration. Uh, he plays the priest uh, hmm. that's in Jim Lovell's home while they're watching, you know, the 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 disaster, you know, watching the Apollo 13 thing unfold on television. He's playing the priest, uh, but he's yeah, he's in you know, I, I think all of them, uh, and also his brother Clint. Uh, is he usually works him into his movies too? He's also in Apollo 13 as one of the the guys working uh, at Mission Control. But in this, he's the the guy, uh, the brides brides or groom's brother. I forget which. John Candy says who he is, but the the one that Alan yells at when he he walks into the church and just says like, you know, how's it going, Alan, or something. And Alan just yells at him. Uh, that's Clint. Um, I, I just I always love that, and I. Uh, there's there's so much. I mean, there's a lot about this movie I really like. Probably the biggest thing uh, is uh, is John Candy. I I miss him so much. I mean, you know, he just he he died way too young and way too soon. But uh, I I would make a strong argument for this being his his best role. Although he had some really good movies, uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles was a really great movie too. But I I I kind of always think of him with this movie uh and i really liked you know the the part that he played in this because this to me seemed like this was probably closest to how he really was in real life uh you know from what i've seen what's funny is i i watched uh you know rewatched the movie last night and then uh this afternoon i was thinking you know somewhere i think i have the dvd of this and uh and i dug it out and it's a 20th anniversary edition dvd that actually had um uh, a documentary on it and i uh watched the documentary i'd never seen it before and Hmm. they talked to everybody they talked to eugene levy they talked to tom hanks they talked to daryl hannah and ron howard but of course, John Candy. I can't remember what year he died, but clearly he was gone by the time this documentary was made. It was ninety-four. One... Oh, was it really? Oh, wow. Yeah, was, yeah it was even further ago than I thought. Yeah, the I just pulled it up. Clip, the one clip that they show of John Candy talking about the movie is really funny because he's he's completely deadpan and he's going, "Yeah, Ron Howard. Uh, I couldn't stand working with him." Tom Hanks, and he, I forget what he says about Hanks, but he says something really derogatory about Hanks. He's joking, but there's no context given to the clip whatsoever. So if you just watch it and don't realize <laughs> it, you would think that he just, like, I mean, it's a short little clip, and they they never mention that he's dead, and they don't give context to the clip. So if you were watching this just without knowing that information, 
you would come away thinking, wow, he really hated working on this movie. It was it was really funny watching it that way. And, and just, you know, somebody clearly that put that together just wasn't thinking that, you know, there's going to be people that are going to watch this that are not going to get the gag, you know, that mm-hmm. are not going to understand that, that he was joking. I thought that was really kind of funny. Well, to shift gears on this, unless Icky has something else that he wants to add in. No, go ahead. Keep going. Okay. Part one of the reasons that we have Scott on here tonight is because this movie is the quote unquote inspiration for Splash Mountain. Mm-hmm. And because Scott has actually been doing a retrospective of the top three hundred movies that could replace Splash Mountain <laughs> instead, <laughs> instead of the Princess and the Frog. And I joke because I think it was like, what, 27 when your wife said that was enough? It's funny. I I wondered if you were aware of that. Yeah, it's funny. I had many more to go. Um, So what I was doing, to give context to your listeners, what I was doing was ever since they they made the announcement that, okay, it's official, we really are going to retheme Splash Mountain, um, I'm just going to put it delicately, I'm livid about this. Um, it's for all of the wrong reasons, but I won't go into that. Um, but I got to thinking, okay, if you really have to do it, if you really have to retheme Splash Mountain, which they totally don't have to, but they're going to do it anyway. My point was there are so many more deserving movies in the Disney vault, uh, you know, that would perfectly fit the, the land, the area, the park, the theme, um, than the princess and the frog. So I, I started a daily, uh, thing on Facebook where each day I would pick a different movie that I thought was a better fit and, and post about that. And I got as far as, yeah, I think you're right. It was like 27 days or something like that. So basically 27 different movies. Uh, I had many more to go. And one day my wife, uh, who I didn't really think paid any attention to what I posted on Facebook. Obviously, she, kinda, she does. You know, in in her way, just basically let me know. Look, you've made your point. You know, you're beating a dead horse with this thing. So I, I wrapped it up. You know, and 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 quit. But uh, I'm trying to remember if I even pointed out Splash because I was thinking about that while I was watching, especially uh, as you mentioned. You know, there there's a couple of times in the movie. Uh, Tom Hanks is singing Zippity Doodah. And I found that to be so fitting, but also ironic because, yeah, he's singing the, the, you know, what is arguably the theme song of Splash Mountain, you know, in, in Splash Mountain. Now, I, I've come to believe that the story is semi apocryphal that Splash Mountain's actually named after Splash. Um, there, there's a famous story started by Eisner uh, that that's why they called it that, because of the success of this movie and everything. But I, I don't know that that's really true. That that would be something to ask, like, Jim Corcus. He, he might know the truth on that. I'm not really sure. Um, but I still thought that was really funny. Because um, they, they didn't... They didn't really play up the Disney too much in the movie. The the other big, uh, and I, I wouldn't even say it was really a big reference, but it was clearly a reference, and I caught it, and I thought it was really genius, was um, when Madison is in Bloomingdale's in the electronics department, one of the movies that's playing on the TVs as she's 
walking by each TV and kind of checking them out. One of the movies that's playing was the black hole, uh, which I thought was really kind of cool because that was also for its time, a very controversial Disney movie, because while it was a Disney movie, uh, you know, touchstone hadn't been created yet. It was the first, um, live action Disney movie that had swearing in it. And that caused quite a stir at the time. What's funny is it's not their first PG movie, um, but it was the first one that had profanity in it. And and I thought that was kind of funny that, you know, here was another, you know, cutting edge, pushing the envelope movie splash, kind of giving a nod to, an, you know, a, a predecessor pushing the envelope Disney movie. I thought that was pretty cool. Yes, uh, Black Hole was actually released in 1979, so mm. with us actually going through the Disney vault, we should get that by about 2035, somewhere around there. <laughs> <laughs> but if you like that one, we will definitely have you on. Um, I, but... tell you, I tell you who you want for that one. I, I don't know if you know him, I don't know if you guys are friends or not, but I, I can make some introductions for you. The guy you want for that one is Luke Giaconetti. And Luke, if you're listening, you can pay me later for the plug. Um, <laughs> but Luke, uh, we had him on our show, Two True Freaks. Uh, th- this is going back a good number of years, but we had him on uh, to talk about the black hole because he just said, hey, I'm a fan. Not realizing this guy's like obsessed with, I mean, he knew everything about, I mean, all we had to do was just let him go, you know, and, and he, you know, he filled the show for us. So yeah, that's who you want. Uh, he's, he's very passionate. I love the movie myself, but I didn't know half of what, uh, what Luke knows about the movie. So he, he's really the expert on that one, but yeah, I, I have a soft spot for that one as well. But, you know, you talk about movies dating. That's a movie that dates, and I don't know that it dates particularly well. Uh, it's, it's showing its age, whereas I, I was shocked with with, uh, with Splash. I mean, obviously hairstyles and, and some of the politics and things like that have changed. But overall, um, yeah, I thought, it, I thought it held up really well. And I wouldn't argue, I mean, everybody's parenting style is different. I, you know, so I wouldn't argue with you that you, you know, you couldn't put a child in front of this, but I wouldn't have had a problem, you know, when my kids were relatively small, putting them, you know, in front of this and letting them watch it. Uh, Because I I think, you know, the nudity aside, uh, some of the language aside, I don't think it's any more, you know, quote unquote offensive than, say, like one of the Back to the Future movies where they say, you know, SOB like a hundred times during the movie. But, you know, like something like Back to the Future, I, I think it has a good message in it. That That's part of the charm of this movie is that it's not just, you know, y- y- when you tell people what it's about, that, it, oh, the guy falls in love with a mermaid and he doesn't know she's a mermaid. It kind of sounds stupid, but, mm-hmm. and it could have been stupid. That's that's the other thing is the movie's kind of a minor miracle because it, it could have been a really cheesy, stupid movie. You know, I mean, there there was a sequel to this that I've never watched because it looks like it's really bad, you know? This could have been really bad, but I, I think the things that really make it is, you know, I point this all the time, you know, I point this out all the time about comic book movies. If you believe in yourself, you can get away with anything. You know, you look at, uh, you know, the recent Marvel movies, some of the plots and some of the, the mechanics of the universe of these Marvel movies is flat ridiculous, but they believe in themselves. And so they get away with murder. You know, they get away with these fantastical, con- you know, it's concepts because they they believe in what they're doing and they're playing it straight. And that's what Splash does. It takes a ridiculous concept, plays it completely straight, believes in itself, 
and then you know tops that all off with just you know great performing tom hanks is i mean he's on his a game in this daryl hannah um i never thought of her as a great actress but she's so likable i mean you you know if you're a guy i i challenge you not to fall in love with her yourself while you're watching the movie i mean she's just a doll and she's and i'm not talking like in a physical you know just purely a physical way i mean yes she's a gorgeous woman but i'm talking i mean she has a spirit she has a character she's you know she's uh a fully developed character she's not just eye candy and all those elements kind of blend together in a in a wonderful stew and it just comes off as a really charming little movie that holds up i think anyway yeah it it definitely it holds up well it holds up for being an 80s movie but that actually <laughs> gives us a perfect seg into our next portion of the um podcast which is how does this how what is today's impact on this well sadly a lot less than it used to be because um two of my favorite things you know kind of you know if you talk about like the legacy of the movie um have sadly disappeared um and i tried to find out where they are and i i couldn't find out but uh, up until very recently, uh, her tail, uh, her, her actual physical tail that Daryl Hannah wore in the movie as Madison in the mermaid scenes um, was on display behind the bar uh, at Planet Hollywood at Walt Disney World. Up until just a couple of years ago when Planet Hollywood uh, underwent a massive refurbishment, it's completely different now. Um, and unless they just moved it to a portion of the restaurant I didn't see uh, in the couple of times I've been there, I, I think it's gone. I, I didn't see it there. I know that they changed out just about all the displays, so I, I didn't find it. Um, and then also um, the fountain, and it was the actual fountain from the movie, not a recreation, the fountain that Madison purchases and, and brings to, Alice, uh, to Alan's apartment uh, was actually on display. It was an actual feature in Hollywood studios hmm. uh, for many, many years. It was back, if you're familiar with the park or how the park used to be, um, when you would go down Mickey Avenue all the way to the end, uh, it was between essentially the studio backlot tour and the um, um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids playset. Okay. It, there's, that, there's like that little gift shop right there that, gotcha. that used to be Roger Rabbit. Yeah, mm-hmm. it used to be Roger Rabbit theme. It was right outside. It was between that and uh, and the entrance into the Backlot Tour, and it sat there for many years. Um, and then when they did this massive refurbishment to you know to alter it and to uh, to create like Star Wars Land and Toy Story and all that, uh, it, it disappeared. And I keep hoping it'll come back, but you know sometimes these things happen. There's uh, there used to be a, a great um, uh, Mickey Mouse uh, statue from Fantasia that used to sit in the uh, contemporary lobby that disappeared years ago, and I don't know what's ever become of that either. I've tried to track that one down, and I can't find it anywhere. So you know these things change from time to time, but it was sad that that those particular elements disappeared, especially the fountain, because. That had a, a really important connection with that park. Uh, I felt, you know, there, when that park first opened, uh, there were four or five movies that that were heavily referenced throughout the park because they were kind of 
important in Disney history right at the time that the park was being created. So you had like Dick Tracy and Roger Rabbit and the Rocketeer. Um, and they were, you know, there were heavy references all over the park to those movies. Well, you know, Splash was there too with the, with the fountain and there was something else. I, f- I forgot what it was now uh, that was Splash related, but they've, they've kind of, you know, over the years as things have changed and gotten refurbished and that sort of thing, they've all just kind of fallen by the wayside and disappeared and, I'm always fascinated with those little, you know, those little lost history elements, you know, when it comes to to both movies and, you know, to the Disney theme parks. Well, I've got actually just one word to say, penthouse. (laughs) (laughs) Just because, I mean, with everything that's going on in society, and this is not me getting up on a political soapbox, so you don't have to worry, Scott. The... (laughs) The, the way the way that everything is being um, you've got to have equality and everything has got to actually be in its place in order for it to make sense in the new normal if the movie were to be remade there is no way that that little three minute snippet would ever make it into even probably even a touchstone movie nowadays. Oh, I I completely agree. You know, when the movie started and I saw that that edited for content, that's what I thought would end up getting cut. Honestly, mm. was uh, not so much the the reference to Penthouse, but if you if you watch, you pay attention to that scene. Um, what Freddie's excited about was that he got his letter published, mm-hmm. and, and he a- actually says the the title of it, which was, you know, he, he called his little, you know, because basically what you could do back in the day, you could write into Penthouse and tell them stories, whether they were true or not, who knows, but, you know, you could tell little, you know, sex fantasy stories and things like that, and he told one to Penthouse, you know, in the context of the movie. Well, the title of his story was A Lesbian No More, mm-hmm. you know, implying that he lover that he had like turned can you imagine that would never fly today yeah and so that's what i honestly uh would uh, uh, have i stunned you to silence well you kind of cut out but i think i got what you were saying oh i got you (laughs) scott i am appalled and shocked (laughs) and we'll have to end this right now (laughs) (laughs) no it's I'm, i'm i'm getting what you're saying the the gist is with What's going on? You couldn't say what he letter, quote unquote. Right. And I mean, with and once again, this is not me getting up on a soapbox. I've got I understand where it's coming from. But that that right there, plus the fact that he actually cracked up smoked are three things that today's society, especially in New York, would probably get you thrown into. I've often wondered how many takes they had to do in that racquetball sequence in order for candy to hit the ball. It hits the wall and then hits him in the head. Cause you, again, you got to remember this is well before CGI. I mean, today, you know, you can have Tom Hanks being a master of ping pong in, in Forrest Gump and nobody you know blinks an eye at it. But in order to, to do that shot back then, he had to actually bank that shot just right to hit himself in the head. So that there's got to be dozens of takes of that, I would imagine, somewhere. That that's pretty funny. Well, if you look at his velour tracksuit, he <laughs> is very um, sweaty, 
I think right. like two thirds of the top is covered. So either he's been he's not in shape, which I mean, just look at him. But <laughs> that might be the reason why that's the one that ends up there is because he's and there's no explanation as to how he actually got there or how long in there playing. Or was did they did they just get out of the sauna and he wore the tracksuit into this? I mean, there's there's just so many variables in it that it's the perfect storm. <laughs> but I, I mean, those are the only things that I can think of that would not reflect in today's society. Hmm. And I mean, it's everything in the movie is good. Oh. I, well, yeah, I actually did mention it. It was the the fact that they said, today's New York, and we're talking 1984, and you've got the tower. Right. And I'm one, I'm one of those people that anytime I see the towers now, it kind of breaks it for me. Right. And I was a devoted watcher of, which I don't know if you ever watched that or not, but that was a, that was a show where they had an alternate Earth where the tower right. did not get and the one of the um, I think it was actually Spock's um, office was actually in one of the top floors of the one of the towers. Hmm. But and I could be misremembering me misremembering that because it's been several years since I've watched that and I'm due for a rewatch. But the I mean I think when Spider Man the first Spider Man actually came out that was right after 9/11. Am I correct? All right. Yeah, you're they, right. Uh, there was a great trailer for uh, it was it basically it was a teaser trailer for uh, for Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man, mm-hmm. that was a scene that was not in the in the final cut of the film, where Spider-Man foils a uh, a bank robbery, where the robbers get away by helicopter, and they're zipping along in the helicopter like between the streets, uh, you know, the city streets of New York City. And all of a sudden, the helicopter comes to a dead stop, goes backwards, drug basically dragged backwards, and then you see it in a web. And it did one of those quick cuts where you see it in the web, and then it backs up, and then it backs way up. And when it backs way up, you see that it's actually webbed between the two the twin towers. Mm-hmm. It was a, a great shot and a really cool effect, but sadly uh, didn't make it into the film because the you know, 9-11 happened, so... Oh, I'm sure it's out there on the YouTube somewhere. It's, uh... It, it was a really cool scene. It's a shame it didn't make it into the movie. Yeah. Um... Icky, can you think of anything that doesn't... Or that today's culture doesn't like in this movie? Well, I'm just wondering if the whole... The whole magazine bit would even be in a modern version. Because, I mean, I'm not an expert in this field, but... Do people even read those types of magazines anymore? I mean, don't you just right. go on the computer now? I didn't so even that... think about that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, who who gets that stuff from uh, from a magazine anymore? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And shifting gears, is this is there anything in Splash that is actually mirrored in culture today? I'm wondering if this movie really was the inspiration we touched on this before, but for the Little Mermaid with all the parallels. I wonder if someone in Imagineering was watching that, or, or the theater someone said, "Let's make this a cartoon and let's take some of the same themes and redo it." That'd be well, interesting my, to uh, study that and research it some more. My understanding was that uh, 
you know, Walt kept a list of, you know, after the success of, uh, of Snow White of other, you know, fairy tale material that he wouldn't mind, you know, doing adaptations of. And, uh, you know, and Hans, Hans Christian Anderson's Little Mermaid was definitely on that list. I, I've never heard anything attributing, um, you know, Little Mermaid getting made to Splash, but it would not surprise me at all if, you know, that, you know, if it wasn't already in production, that maybe one of the reasons it got produced or maybe fast tracked or something was because of Splash. I, I right. can easily see that being the case. And the Hans Christian Andersen version is nothing like the Disney version. I mean, it's very loosely based on it, but it's it's kind of creepy if you if you read or learn more about it. Yeah, that I don't I don't know anything about that, but yeah, that doesn't surprise me either because you know most of those old uh, fairy tales you know that Disney ended up doing you know they they are you know pretty loosely based, like Snow White. Uh, I, you know, I've heard things about Snow White. You know, the original story that you know was pretty different you know for i want to say about the disney version you know uh being frightening for kids and all that you know those disney movies had nothing on the original versions of most of those stories as far as you know the fright factor for for small children and stuff you know most of the original fairy tales were they were they were intentionally scary you know as morality tales for children yeah, the original Little Mermaid is very, very dark. She has to walk on glass, and the bottom of her feet are constantly in pain, and I believe she ends up dying at the end. It's it's dark. It's nothing that Disney would make, so that's what I'm thinking. I wonder if they just took that concept and said, let's, let's Disney-fy it by uh, making it kind of like Splash. I, I wonder. I can see that. I can see that. Well, the Little Mermaid actually came out five years later, and with the way that... Most Disney movies were are made. I think that might be about right for for timeline because when we started back in the beginning, which we're 17 episodes in now, but it was like three or four years for them to even make a movie. Right. Right. And then I don't know when CG actually came along. Was that was Toy Story like one of the first CG movies? Well, as far as com- you know, completely uh, computer animated. Toy Story was the first one that was completely mm-hmm. computer animated. But you know, Disney had been toying with computer animation in their films uh, as as early as 1982 with Tron. Hmm. Uh, and then, oh, yeah. as far as in the in the animated movies, I'm trying to remember the first animated one that had CGI in it. I want to say it was Rescuers Down Under. I think. Wait, wasn't that the one that if you freeze frame it at the right point, it has a copy of John Candy's um, magazine article? (laughs) (laughs) That it's it's either it's either the first one or Down Under. I'm not sure. I know what you're talking about though. There's (laughs) there's, there there is a shot where if you freeze, you know they've removed it since, but there used to be a, a. a frame in there where one of the animators snuck, uh, I think it's a topless woman into one of the windows in the scene where the, the mice are riding on the back of one of the, um, I think they're supposed to be albatrosses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can't remember if that's the first or second movie. I, I, I don't remember. I think it's the first one, but I really don't remember now. They all blend together after a while. Anything with a mouse, Cinderella, Rescuers, Chippendale, 
Um, is there anything else that's mirrored in culture today? Hmm. Obviously, Madison. Since you since you say that you've seen many, many, many Madisons come along, and right. most of the moms attribute it to Madison Avenue, which um, 149th. Just saying. <laughs> We yeah. need to get that out there. Yeah, you know, I, I I can't, you know, as as far as you know the the film's impact or whatever. Yeah, I can't think of anything else that I would I would you know necessarily attribute to it. But uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, and then our final question, because we are running a little long. Does this actually fit? How does it actually fit into today's society? Or does it? Is probably the better. Question. I think it still does. I mean, you know, I, the thing is, you know. In today's culture, you know, there's so, you know, the the word offended gets bandied about so freely by, by people and everything. I, I think, you know, if you're out there looking for offense, then you, you can find it, you know, but you, you can find anything if you're looking for it, you know. For me, I, I don't think there's anything overly offensive in the movie or anything like that. I, I think it's a, a wonderful, charming movie that that really holds up. And you know, anybody that would get their nose out of you know bent out of shape about the movie, then you know you need to lighten up because it's you know it's innocent fair. So yeah, icky. Yeah, it's a good movie. I enjoyed it. I, I think it would age. I think it does age well. I think it would be good. A good remake could be made of it, definitely. Okay. Well, Scott. Since your wife has told you to hold off, I won't tell you to go in and put in Splash as day number 28. (laughs) (laughs) But they could actually keep the music. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Well, let me, um, before we say our goodbyes, Scott, let me go ahead and let you pimp your show. Because if it weren't for your show, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. That's for Aww. (laughs) Um... Well, these days I, I, I don't do near as much. Oh, would you look at the time? As I used to do, but uh, I, I still do participate as often as possible on a show called Back to the Bins, uh, which is where uh, we cover random uh, back issues of comic books. Uh, me and uh, my co-hosts uh, Paul Spataro and uh, Dr. Bill Robinson. We have a blast. So even if you're not all that you know curious about comic books or not all that into comic books. Uh, it's still just a lot of fun to listen to us just cut up and be stupid on it. Um, you can find that at uh, twotruefreaks.com. Just uh, look at the different show links and find Back to the Bins. That's the one that I'm on. But, uh, yeah, check out uh, uh, twotruefreaks.com. There's all kinds of shows on there for just about any geeky subject that you'd be interested in. So there's almost certainly something that would appeal to you. And hopefully, when this re- when this is actually released, I will be allowed to put this in the Back to the Bins um, feed, so that way people might find it and see. Wow, Disney, Scott, who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> and then they might give us a listen for the other episodes that we have done, because we actually did a rather lengthy review of Song of the South. It was like the second longest um, recording before tonight. That I would like to hear. I I actually enjoy that movie quite a little bit. I'm I'm rather gutted that uh, that it's going away as far as uh, theme park rep- representation. I think it's a shame. Mm-hmm. Well, it is out there. We are on iTunes. If you're listening to this and have not given us a review, which we have two reviews, one of which is from my wife. We would appreciate you giving us a review if you like what we are saying. If you don't then please keep your review to yourself. 
because the good reviews are how <laughs> other people find us, and bad reviews are how people say I will not listen to them. Right. Our email address is bekindrewind at, I'm sorry, bekindrewinddmp at gmail.com. That's uh, Be Kind Rewind, and the DMP stands for Disney Movie Podcast. Our next movie that we are going to review, we are going back to the 50s. The very first movie in the 50s, it is Cinderella, speaking of mice, so it all ties in together. And we will be reviewing that one probably next week. Until then, Scott, thank you for coming on. You've made this a very interesting podcast. And until next time... Thanks, everybody, for listening, and stay safe. Thank you for listening. You can send us feedback at BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. We welcome any kind of feedback, and it might get read on the air in a future podcast. Once again, the email address is BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. If you have a moment, please rate and review our podcast on whatever streaming service you are listening to us on. This and word of mouth are the two ways to help us reach a larger audience. Thank you in advance for doing this. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day. Goodbye. How long have we been playing? About five minutes. Oh, God. My heart's beating like a rabbit. You, uh, want a beer? No, thanks. So, tell me this. If you're not in love with her, how come these little things she does drive you crazy so much, huh? Little things? Buddy, the woman learned how to speak English in a single afternoon. She could probably speak English already. I think she was in shock from being arrested, you know? Well, now, what about that, huh? What about a woman showing up naked in a public place, Freddy? Well, I'm for it, of course. But you yourself said that she had some kind of, what, immigration problem? She's on an ocean liner in the middle of uh, international waters. And uh, she sees America, looks good. So she greases her body up like a channel swimmer. She dives in. She uh, goes through some sharks, has some heavy trouble there. Goes through the Coast Guard through some minefields, and then she's, uh, she's on shore. She's okay, see? Now look, I'm being serious. I've had a few minor fiascos in my own love life, and I admit that freely. Freddy, you took a date to one of your own weddings. I'm a, I'm a free spirit. I'm extremely liberal. I'm a freewheeling dude. You know what your problem is? You're in love with this girl, and you're trying to convince yourself you're not. I just don't know, Freddy. It's just something about it isn't, isn't right. I'll serve. You hold a beer, that'll be your handicap. Oh, we're going to play? Yeah. I'm going to teach you a lesson in humility. All right, wait. Humility 101. You all set? Yeah. All right, here we go. Oh! Oh!